0: self-explanatory, I'm gonna take some time to introduce the guest. Well, today's episode is extra special for me for two reasons. One, because we're talking to the DTC king. And second, personally, because everything that Lights Out's doing and galloping his way through, a lot of it is credit to Nick's advice. Right from having his own agency and consulting firm called Sharma Brands to becoming an investor in early stage DTC businesses in the US, Nick's traveled the journey throughout. Not just that, he's had an interesting past being a part of some extremely fast-paced media companies through his career. Well, today is diving into Nick's minds, understanding where exactly is the direct-to-consumer industry heading globally. Nick's extremely popular on LinkedIn, Twitter and now Clubhouse. And for those of you who've still not signed up for his newsletters, well, the description has his link. You must have his newsletters reaching you every Sunday in your inbox. This is Design Grid and we're talking to Nick Sharma. Nick, welcome to Design Grid. It's, uh, it's quite a pleasure to be having you. I think uh, there's so much that we're looking to exploit out of you today. Uh, that I'm very, very, very excited about this. Likewise, I'm excited to be here. Amazing, amazing. So I'm, I'm going to kind of jump into one of those uh, conversations you had with Alex sometime back, uh, you know, and you said you are in chapter two of your life. So yeah. What so far for you has been your biggest achievement according to you?
1: Um, biggest achievement is probably... More like a turning point of
0: sorts in life. Yeah,
1: turning point. I would say turning point is probably just coming to New York. Uh, I came to New York last year, um, and you know that was a turning point in the sense that um, you know there's a lot more opportunity here. Um, there are a a lot of people to meet here. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of like-minded people here. The people that that work in my industry or or who I considered colleagues or who I've maybe worked with, you know, through email and Slack and text over the last couple of years, but now can actually see them here. Um, but yeah, I would say coming to New York center of the activity at the moment. Yeah,
0: exactly. Amazing. So was was this choice of becoming a marketer or more like an entrepreneur fairly visible from, from like an early time uh, in your college or sort of your work profile?
1: Yeah. Um, So, I mean, it was probably back in high school when I kind of started it. Um, It was more out of a desire to, um, you know, I wasn't the brightest kid when it came to getting good grades. And so for me, it was like, oh. That's always the case, right? That's always the case. Yeah, for me, it was just, um, you know, essentially it was like a way out, right? If I could figure out how to make money and eventually, uh, you know, provide for myself and whoever else, um, then maybe it was okay that my grades weren't that great. Um, and so that's pretty much how it started. And, you know, it started in, in by doing marketing, freelance marketing for some celebrities. Yeah. Um, and then after that ended up, uh, going to learn ad tech up in the Bay area, San Francisco. Um, learned ad tech then ended up working for a CPG company. Um, and then after that I moved to New York.
0: Right. So what back in high school, what was it like, how did you get in touch with all of these celebrities and why did you choose to do that?
1: Um, so a cousin of mine actually had a TV show on the Sony India network called And um, so through her, I was, I started working with her on her shows, social media. And then after that, um, after that, then, uh, then it it was kind of just, you know, once you're in that, in that bubble, you, you meet all the right, you know, whether it's artist managers or, um, you know, production managers and whatnot who know other people, um right. but once you get in that circle then then it was very much just like talking about the stuff I was doing for the show and then people would say oh wow you know this is something that we need for you know uh, our artist or this artist that I started managing um, right. and that's kind of how it started and 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 you transitioned
0: out of the kind of celebrities you were managing all the way up until getting people like pitbull in
1: yeah yeah pitbull and priyanka Um, but yeah, it was more, uh, you know, I, I, I learned or figured out rather, um, how to use social as a, as a two-way conversational platform for these big celebrities and, and people with large audiences versus it being a broadcast channel. And I think that the stuff I had figured out back then has actually helped a lot in my career, even after, you know, when I got to hint, for example, um, we were able to completely revitalize even just our Twitter account by turning it into that, uh, or even my own personal, you know, social media accounts. I think have great engagement because of some of the stuff that I've learned uh, right. over the years, starting back in high school. Right. Right. So uh, yeah. I'm I'm gonna dive in straight into
0: uh, why we're literally doing this, and that's uh, for people to get a lot more insight into how you design marketing strategies uh, for consumer brands. Right. So yeah, if, if you look at today's context, marketing is so nuanced. Uh, it's It has to be extremely relevant to you as a customer. Uh, yeah. Do you think that there is a cultural or a subcultural context that one can design for when it comes to marketing strategies?
1: Um, a cultural or subcultural mindset? Well, I think as long as you you know, you have on a macro level, if you understand why the consumer that you're going after is buying your product, I think that might be what you're looking for, but that, you know, that's essentially what then you would work backwards from. For example, if you're, um, you know, if you're uh, Judy, which is an emergency kit brand we've launched, right. um, we're going after the everyday American who doesn't understand that a disaster or an emergency or even just you know cuts and bruises can happen on a daily basis or at any time that there is that's unexpected and so that's the the mindset we're going for um so there might be on a macro level that you can do it uh i guess on a micro level you know specific campaigns can have can work backwards from you know trying to get to certain people um when I, when I also mean
0: when I speak about subcultures we also mean very specific interests and uh, beliefs uh, is that something that that should be targeted in in, in today's day and age
1: um, I would say it depends it's probably on a case-by-case basis if it's like religious or political beliefs I think there's obviously there's companies that have done it um, right. But um, I don't know if it's the most uh, fair way of marketing, like it's almost manipulative. Right. Um, but, but I think it would have to be on a case by case basis.
0: Right. What in, in, in recent times, perhaps not something that's, that's, that's designed by you, but have you come across some of uh, very inspiring or creative marketing strategies that kind of stand out and, and why, why are they standing out today?
1: yeah um well my favorite probably examples are are when companies you know when companies get large and they graduate from selling just their product and their marketing to really selling the community um you know my favorite or or selling the their users uh as a form of marketing or evangelism at scale Uh, My favorite examples are like Nike, the way Nike portrays their own athletes um, or how Shopify portrays their own entrepreneurs. Um, And uh, and, you know, those are probably my favorite examples, because that's when you graduate from, you know, focusing on, on a product or whether it's a shoe or a sweatshirt or, you know, a store uh, to, um, focusing on, on the community or the impact that it has had in the community around it. Um, and, you know, obviously it's a lot more brand than performance, but I think it, it sets a really good tone for the brand. Is there a deflection point in the
0: brand's journey when they should start focusing on community building? Because as a term, I feel it's overused uh, and everyone's talking about community building and and brands wanna jump into it right at the outset. That's the starting point of most brands when it comes to marketing today. Is there a deflection point according to you in their journey? Um, Well, I
1: think, um, I, I mean, I think community for a brand either starts with you know, pre-launch, if you're, if you have an audience already, right. Um, you have the ability to build community quickly, um, around the cause or the mission or the problem that your brand solves for. Um, but if you don't do that at launch, then I think the, the best time to then start is at launch. Um, you know, community for a brand is, is basically how do you just keep your customers or fans or followers engaged so whether that's by i mean it could be something as simple as like um you know putting out good content that generates engagement all the way to like what outdoor voices used to do which is like runs uh you know group runs in different cities in the country um with the founder and so i think there is there's uh, just a ton of opportunity and a ton of different ways um, to to put together community right uh, so
0: 2020 has been has been a crazier uh, for everyone what sort of marketing strategy uh, prevailed beyond just tactical communication
1: um, well some of the brands you know responded really well. From a tactical perspective, whether it was the way they messaged their creative, their landing pages, their product assortment. I think other companies responded in other really interesting ways. You know, whether it was a company like Adams, which is a shoe company, started creating masks. Um, um, You know, I don't know the exact name of the company, but Shervin Pishevar, one of his companies started then making uh, 3D printed ventilators for the pandemic. Um, so, so some companies, you know, really shifted from a. Uh, I mean, actually even Judy, you know, we had a supply of probably 50,000 masks. I think we donated to, right. um, local hospitals and whatnot, but, um, you know, some companies got really tactical in their marketing, uh, other companies got really, um, strategic and how do they use their company for good in a way that, um, you know, in, in a way that they can, because they can, obviously, I think if everybody had, the ability to do something to help they would, um, or, or house is another good example, you know, a low alcohol aperitif brand. They basically realized that there, that a lot of restaurant owners were now suffering. And so they said, all right, we're going to go to nine restaurants that have very cult followings, uh, well-known restaurants, um, you know, not chains, but local restaurants. We're going to develop a flavor of a drink, um, in their name and develop it with them and then we're going to sell it online and whatever the profits are we're just going to give it back to the restaurant and they were writing six-figure checks to restaurants within you know a week of this idea um, being put out and so i think um you know some brands basically i I think a a lot of brands just did whatever they could um obviously e-commerce is a very um was a very lucky uh, industry last year where, you know, everybody's at home. So sales may be accelerated for some, especially if there are products in, you know, beauty or, or skincare because of zoom, or if there were products in, in cookware and cleaning and home products. Um, but then there were also, you know, a good amount of brands that also kind of suffered last year too. Um, but e-commerce as a whole, I think definitely saw a massive increase, uh, one that probably would have otherwise taken, you know, eight to 10 years, um, to, to to see. Right. So you you talk about strategies around marketing.
0: Uh, Nick, is there a is there a formula the brands can use and get collaboration marketing spot on? Because you you use it really well. So is there some sort of a mix that must be adhered to?
1: Um, and Judy's a classic case uh, again here. Yeah. You mean like basically a mix of channels and, and distribution or possibly two brands collaborating with one another. Oh yeah.
0: And yeah, I mean, creating think, something, creating something great.
1: Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of brand collaborations. I think, you know, there's a lot of companies that take it the easy way, which is, um, which is, you know, something as simple as a, a cross promotional email Correct. swap, or uh, a giveaway on Instagram. But if you can create something that is actually, you know, if you can take two brands where you've said, all right, we probably have the same customer. Yeah. And then you can say, um, and then you can say, all right, let's take brand a and create something with brand B that becomes attractive to both the customers of both brands. Um, you know, that's something really valuable because, because not only are you just getting a, um, an email swap out of it, but you're right. also going to be getting, you know, a pretty intuitive look into the other brand. Um, right. So, you know, Judy and Poopery did a collaboration last year right. and it gave, you know, Poopery an interesting angle because it was all about preparedness, but it gave them a very clear look into what Judy is and vice versa. Um, and, you know, even if, even if you don't sell a crazy amount of units of the product, you've now created the awareness of brand a in the brand B customers and vice versa. Um, and so while the direct attribution might, might not be immediate or, or visible, um, it's something you could probably bet, you know, when, when a Judy customer goes to Costco and sees a three pack of poopery, they're, they're, they're a lot more likely to purchase it now.
0: Right. And, and do, do, when you speak about brand A and brand B, do both of them have to have a similar pedigree or, uh, you know, a volume of their audience set? Because in most cases they won't.
1: Yeah. Um, well, no, I don't think so. I mean, for, you know, Judy Poopery, there was, um, a huge discrepancy obviously Correct. because poopery has been around for, um, very long, maybe 10 years. Yeah. I'm actually not sure. But, and Judy just had launched earlier that year. It's not even a year old yet. And so, um, you know, for Judy, we just had to figure out what's the angle, what, what are we coming to the table with? Um, you know, for Judy, it was the network of, of influencers and ambassadors that we could put the product in. Great. And for poo it was the, the the size of their audience, uh, brand awareness, and their, um, you know, their ability to drive um, Uh, PR. And so, you know, it was a pretty fair, like everybody comes to the table. Um, You know, my company handled digital for both brands at the time. And so it made it even easier to get things approved and and move along and, and, um, and just make everything happen. But I think at the end of the day, if if you can figure out what you can come to the table with, um, whether that's customers whether that's a celebrity co-founder that you have, whether that's a, um, you know, th- the ability to go get immediate PR, whether that's the ability to reach out to a very engaged community. Um, you know, then I think that's something worth coming to the table with that, um, you know, the other party probably can't do like you can, and it could right. justify, you know, going up against a brand with, you know, 750,000 customers. Right. And, and, and then the marketing mix works for both of them. Right. Right.
0: Right. So is there, is there a very ideal marketing strategy that DTC brands must use? Is there like a, like a playbook uh, with, with five thumb rules that this is what works in, in today's times?
1: Um, I mean, it honestly changes. We have four brand launches this quarter and everything we did last year is probably not going to work as well. Um, but I think the, the main pillars that you want to, you know, kind of check through are obviously product, um, uh, community, um, fulfillment is a huge one, right? Because you want to make sure your customers are getting product on time. Um, content, having good content, good creative, good messaging, good copy that actually resonates with customers. And you want to make sure that, uh, you know, behind all this, the systems and the infrastructure powering it is also top notch. So whether that means your post-purchase emails are looking very nice, uh, all the way to, you know, having things like blog content, uh, or, or just content in general for your brand to put out. Um, you know, I think if you go down those, that list before your launch, you know, there's probably more tactical things within there that change, but those are kind of the, the main pillars I would say. Right. So you
0: focus so much on content marketing and you've spoken um, a lot of times on how email marketing could be leveraged for brands. Uh, Why is it that uh, that email marketing or rather content marketing becomes uh, a front runner in your
1: strategies? And how do you end up doing that? Well, I'm a big fan of selling the why, not the what. And the only way to explain it is usually through content, whether it's video or whether it's long form article or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. But, um, you know, I I think that selling the why is how you get a long-term customer Um, selling the what is how you get an immediate purchase, but not a loyal customer. And so, um, isn't that balance that, that
0: brands usually go out to
1: seek? Right. Yeah, it, it usually is, um, but I think it depending on the product. I mean, some products, um, you know, you need less of the why. Some products, you need more of the why. If they're one-time purchase products, you probably need a little bit less of the why and more of the actual functionality. If it's a high consumption product like a beverage or a cereal on subscription, you probably need more of the why um, to to you know to keep somebody on board. Um, and also, especially in categories like, uh, toothpaste where you compete with your local grocery store, right. You have to put a why behind there so that you don't just lose out on the what, which is just toothpaste at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of content marketing. I think good content marketing is hard. It's not easy. And so I think there's a good barrier to entry there. Um, and, uh, and I think that brands that, you know, just flock to running ads and basically putting up digital billboards on the internet you know they don't really build a brand they they sell a product um, and I like to build brands yeah which are which are sustainable in the long term exactly
0: is there is there you you ended up creating very infectious uh, landing pages for a lot of e-commerce companies right mm-hmm. uh, is there a process that you use to design, uh, some of those landing pages and, and, and how do you arrive at what's the best fit, uh, for a DTC brand to create uh, a revenue generating landing page?
1: Um, honestly, the, <laughs> the thing we look at is basically like, um, why does somebody want to buy this product? And so we do that through a number of ways, whether it's through, um, whether it's through, Looking at and reading all the reviews and making a tally of things that people mention, or whether it's through um, looking at comments on Facebook, DMs on Instagram, um, even just customer service emails. Right. And basically, right. we we look at what um, we look at what what people are like about the brand, and then we just work backwards from there. And we basically try to, we also try to think of what are all the questions somebody would have when they come to to come to see this brand and they need to be visible out there. Yeah. And so we want to answer everything so that as somebody reads through a, um, as somebody reads through the landing page, then, um, you know, they're, they're really seeing every answer to a question they might have pop up in their head. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and,
0: and how often should companies and brands change their landing pages within a campaign strategy?
1: Um, I mean, I think you should change it. Uh, I mean, you should always, you should probably, uh, I usually do like an 80, 20 rule. So 80% of the time you run or 80% of your spend is always running behind, you know, something that's working. but you know, nothing works forever. And so you want to use 20% to keep testing, uh, new pages, new tactics, new messaging, new creative. Um, you know, we do it where we basically put together three or four pages. When we begin, uh, we see what works. We, you know, we usually find scale behind two or three of them. And then while those two or three are, are scaling, we start testing new concepts. Um, because we know it's not going to last forever and we can't have it where, you know, all of a sudden scale drops off and now we're back to square one. We have to have right. things kind of, you know, at that level. Yeah, You need um, to so be, so you need to have say, the right backups in place. Exactly.
0: Right. Exactly. Uh, your, your newsletters are, 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 they have a huge following. Why is it so? <laughs>
1: Um, it's not crazy huge. It's, it's, uh, probably a little bit over 6,300 people now. Correct. Um, it's all been just through, you know, the people who follow me on Twitter, um, have signed up for it. And, um, you know, I think the, I think the reason people like love them is because they're, they're insanely tactical. They're not, um, They're not headlines from other media platforms kind of aggregated. And they're also not, um, you know, marketing theory or marketing ideas. They're actually things that somebody could read and say, all right, you know, I'm going to forward this to my head of marketing and they're going to get started on this. Um, you know, whether it's, a, it's, the, it's an email where we send out a, a guide on how to actually design landing pages section by section and why those sections are like that. Or like this last weekend, I talked about, you know, affiliate marketing, but right. not in the way of coupon sites and email lists. It's more like, right. how do you do affiliate in a way that builds brand equity? Um, right. But they're all very, very tactical. And they're also, it's nothing that I haven't done before. So everything I do is very thoroughly explained as if somebody had no clue about it, but it's because it's, they're all things that I've personally done before. Um, I feel like you're bringing, not talking about anything that I haven't done.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like you bring in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And one of those instances are into your weekly newsletter. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Interesting. Uh, yeah, Nick, I'm going to get into something beyond just marketing, something that tries and, uh, explores a little more of who you are as a person. Right. So, uh, uh and, and we're going to make this quick is, uh, you shouldn't have to think about any of these. Uh, yeah. if, if there were three people that you could invite over to a dinner, um, uh-huh. who would that typically be? Ooh, um, probably.
1: <laughs> and,
0: I, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not talking friends and family. I'm talking three people who you had an opportunity, like an open slate. Yeah probably
1: Mark Cuban for one. Um, Let's see. Open slate Dave Portnoy from Barstool sports. Yeah. And, um, and let's see, we think in the tech and maybe like Elon Musk. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Gone all the way through, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, how did
0: you transition from being a marketeer to an investor? And you've got a ton of these investments. Uh, How exactly did that happen?
1: Um, It actually kind of happened. um, um, So my first investment was house and basically the founder of house and I were, you know, had DM would for probably a year prior to the company being announced. And then that was probably a year before the company actually launched. So, um, you know, just kind of like helping out and realizing that, Oh, uh, you know, somebody who's helpful and knowledgeable in something, um, can be pretty valuable to an early stage company. Um, and also at the same time I wanted to be involved with that brand because I, you know, I love the brand, love the product, love the founders. Um, And that just kind of turned into my first investment. And then, you know, the founder of house connected me with the founder of Brightland, um, basically saying that, you know, you should talk to Nick about getting involved in the company because he's been helpful to house. Um, And then that happened that way. Um, But then it was, you know, then uh, I, as people saw that I was making investments, then it became easier and easier because um, you know, I am pretty loud on the internet about who I am and what I do. Right. Um, and so I started to see a lot of early stage deal flow. So whether they're, you know, software companies like, um, alloy or poly operations, um, all the way to, you know, a company that probably won't launch till June this year, like, a you know, outdoor gardening direct to consumer all the way to, um, you know, uh, telemedicine companies like, uh, levels. Um, you know, I would get uh, approached by these companies or like levels came to me and said, Hey, we, we had a great successful pre-launch because of the deck that you shared. Um, and we want you to be involved. And so, um, you know, it just, it just kind of comes from having, it's, it's almost like a flywheel, right? Between having an internet audience where I'm just constantly basically putting out things that I learn in my day to day. And then that gets eyeballs and it drives people to want to prompt me to invest or, or chat or whatever, um, because they see the stuff on the internet. Right. And it just grows from there on. Mm -hmm.
0: Interesting grows from there. Interesting. Tell me, tell me some of your, like, like a top podcast that you'd recommend people.
1: Um, the North star by David Perel is a really good one. Um, business casual by morning brew is a really good one. I've um, seen
0: so many people talk about North star. It's, it's not even funny. Uh, I, I think yeah. it's,
1: it's gained so much popularity in the past few months. A hundred percent. I mean, David and I have probably been friends for five years at this point. Um, you know, back when he, he had just left cycle and a marketing agency he was at and, I was kind of starting to get into the space and we just became really good friends. Um, but he's absolutely blown up over the last few years. Yeah. And he's probably one of the smartest people that I know. I mean, you could ask him a question about anything, literally anything from architecture to science to like whatever. And he knows right. the answer. Right. Right. <laughs> and say, is, is
0: there, is there, uh, uh, is there an advice that you would give, to the 18 year old you, if you could, in hindsight.
1: Um, I would probably say start sharing more about your day to day publicly sooner. Um, or, you know, quote unquote building in public. I think it's, it's got tremendous value and advantages to it. Um, and you think this is going
0: to last last for, for the next few years as well.
1: I think so. I mean, I think, you know, obviously, um, we, we perceive to be in a bubble, but think about how many millions of people probably, you know, are interested in marketing or e-commerce or, or brand development or brand launching. I mean, there's millions and millions of people. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, and the other thing it does too is, is one, it, it, it attracts you to talent. Um, so really talented people who want to learn more, Um, which is great because then you can find ways to work with them. The other thing it does is it, 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 um, you know, it could fast track you to meeting somebody that you want to get in touch with. So for example, you know, um, the easy example is like when, when, uh, when I emailed Mark Cuban, you know, I can get a response in a minute, um, or if I want to meet with, you know, a really high profile investor or, uh, operator, you know, obviously kind of within my world, then, you know, having an audience or having, you know, validation, uh, helps to, you know, right. make it the process.
0: It just leapfrogs you out there with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, one last thing before we kind of cut this, uh, you don't have an instagram profile uh, yeah why is that so like you speak on social so actively why is instagram not yeah. part of the strategy
1: um i just find it very distracting to be honest um and now my distraction time has moved over to tiktok um but i found that like over the years um twitter has just always been a, a lot more beneficial to me personally and professionally right. Correct. um And so I just decided I'll, I'd go all in on Twitter and, um, and you know, um, not really pursue much on Instagram yet at least. Yeah. And so
0: all the, all the energy and all the channel and uh, all the time is sort of channelized just towards a couple of these platforms.
1: Yeah. Right now I'm focusing on Twitter and email. I would say, um, I want to get into YouTube. Um, so I'm exploring that, but, um, yeah, mostly focused on Twitter and email right now.
0: Amazing. What is, what does, what is the highlight of 21 look like 2021 look like for you?
1: Um, well, we're still kind of in the planning stages for this year. Um, you know, we're, we we have a lot, a lot of brand launches this, this quarter. Um, but after this quarter, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do, uh, whether that means, you know. Uh, bigger projects on the client services side or, um, or it means something else. Amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think uh,
0: it should be a crazy, amazing year for everyone. Uh, there's been a lot of pent up energy that needs uh, to come out in in great ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's going to be a, a really good year to be honest. Yeah, uh,
0: I think so too. Nick, this has been phenomenal having you. Uh, Thank you so much for for being a part of this. Of course.